Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. Welcome to North Main Street Church of God on the first Sunday of 2019. Can you believe we've made it? Yeah, 2018 was rough, but 2019 is going to be better. And starting out this new year, we start with a new series entitled Love Goes the Distance. In the month of January, we're just going to be looking at one chapter and one letter in the New Testament. I know, I usually go through a whole book, but we're going to chunk out chapter 4. Actually, not even all of chapter 4 of 1 John, because there's a lot in there that we need to kind of take apart, chew on for a little bit. Love goes the distance. When we look at 1 John, uh, you need to know the background, the history, who wrote it, and all that jazz. So who wrote it? John. John. There are a lot of people named John. Which John wrote this book? Well, it's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John wrote three other letters in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They're very creative with titles in those days. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are really short. They are not long letters at all. They are not meant to be read just one chapter at a time, even though this is what we're going to be focusing on this series. They're meant to be read like a letter. And we're going to look at 1st John chapter 4 and what the background is with that. The whole chapter in chapter 4 is about love. Actually, the whole book of 1 John is about love. But chapter 4, he really gets down to the nitty-gritty of love. And what is love? What's love got to do with it? As they ask, right? Um, When you hear preachers preach about love, it's all flowers and roses and happy-go-lucky unicorns and lollipops. But... There is a side of love that we don't often understand, that it is painful, it is frustrating, it is, it, it is difficult. The only way to guard yourself, I believe C.S. Lewis said this, from the effects of love is to basically hide yourself away from all possible conceivable opportunities for love. And we can't really do that, not really, unless you become somebody like a hermit out in the middle of nowhere where nobody else is around. But that's not the reality we live in. So what's going on when John's writing this letter? Well, John is in the later years of his life. John is the one disciple that died of natural causes. Yes, he was imprisoned. Yes, he he experienced persecution. But he was the one of the 12 that didn't die through execution, suicide, or something like that. Who died of suicide? Judas Iscariot. He hung himself, if you remember. Matthias was uh, selected by the 12 to replace Judas Iscariot, and he was even executed for his faith. He was martyred for his faith. But John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John, and more than likely the book of Revelation, is the one who lived a very long life. He was the one in the Gospel of John that said uh, that, that he leaned upon Jesus' breast at the dinner table when they were celebrating the Passover meal before Jesus would be arrested and crucified. 
John was the youngest. He was probably called at a very early age, maybe in his 14th, 15th year of life. So think of you, you guys who are 14, 15 years old. You would have been called to be Jesus' disciple. As he's in his later years, he's writing to the early church. And the early church is actually experiencing some great difficulties. What kind of difficulties are the early church experiencing? Well, yes, they're experiencing persecution. persecution. Yes, many of them are getting martyred for their faith. But did you know that they were not only experiencing persecution from the outside, but from within? You can't read First and Second Corinthians and not find out that the church fought against itself at times. And so John is writing to the early church, and he's saying, guys, there are false teachers out there. There are people who are, who are in the church for no good reason. They're in there to destroy and divide and conquer. And what are some of the teachings that were going on in the early days of the church? Well, there were teachings like Jesus wasn't really God. He just looked like God. He acted like God. Or he was a good prophet and teacher from God. But see, God being God would not take on human flesh. And they played into the modern day philosophy of the Greek philosophers like Plato, who said that anything that is physical that you can touch that is made of matter is evil and bad. And everything that's in the spiritual realm that you can't see is good. So God is spirit and God couldn't take on human form because that would mean he would become unholy and impure. That was the philosophy of the day and age. That had started to creep into the church. You're like, well, we don't deal with that today. There are people who say Jesus is just a good man. He wasn't really God in the flesh. He didn't raise from the grave. That's all nonsense. There are people in the church that say that. I can't really bite off and chew that uh, because, you know, chew this teaching that Jesus was really God in the flesh because God can't die. And Jesus died. How is that even possible? And so we perpetuate this nonsense when we don't really understand the word of God. And it's perpetuated today. There was another form of that which said, no, God was in Jesus and Jesus was in God. They were one and the same. But what we do in the flesh is not going to make it to heaven anyway. So eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we die. And so they were, there were people in the church that were saying, go out and do whatever you want to do. It's the spirit that matters, not the body. So go shoot up, drink up, live it up, sleep around. And in the Roman culture in that day and age in the early church, they actually had prostitutes at the temples, the local temples, not God's temple, but the local temples. And it was a religious duty to go out and sleep with prostitutes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And this was uh, another theory or false teaching that had infiltrated the church and was not good at all. It's actually pretty rough. But we don't have to deal with that nowadays. There are no prostitutes, there's no sexual promiscuity, nobody's living with anybody else having sex before marriage, there's no adulterous affairs going on, all of that stuff is perfectly null and void today. But see, the issue is, we all know those are lies. So what false teachings creep into the church today? And how do we overcome those false teachings? Well, John gives us a perspective on that. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, don't love this world or the things it offers you. What's he saying? 
I mean, don't love the world or the things it offers you. What's the difference between what the world offers and what God offers? But the world offers us good things. Like I can go plant a garden and the garden will hopefully bring forth the, you know, the fruit of the harvest and I can actually have some good stuff. Is, is that what it's talking about? No, 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 no. That's not what it's talking about. When he's talking about the world, he's talking about what the world has to offer. What does the world have to offer? It has to offer us temporary things. It has things to offer us that are less than pure and appropriate. I'm not saying the world is all about bad stuff, but what the world has to offer is only temporary. But what God has to offer is eternal. It lasts forever. And so what John is saying, don't take in or love what the world has to offer because guess what? It's going to fade away someday. It's not eternal. It's only temporary. So love what God has to offer. For when you love the world, he goes on to say, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Oh, that's a tough one. So if I love the world, then I can't love God. And if I love God, then conceivably I can't love the world. How many of you love the world? And how many of you love God? Because those two are juxtaposed against each other. What's he go on to say? For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything and, and, and that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Well, what pleases God? I have a lot of people asking me questions like that as a pastor. Well, what pleases God? And, and sadly, it's not just people that are unfamiliar with Christianity or the Bible. Sadly, it's people that have been in the church for decades. Why is that? There's no reason for us not to know what pleases God when we have at our fingertips the very words of God. I should hear a whole lot of amens about this point, but that's okay. And I'm not trying to step on toes. Let's be honest. Disciplining yourself to read the word of God on a regular basis is not easy. That's why we offer challenges every year, at the beginning of the year. Read through the Bible with us together. Last week, we gave you reading guides and a highlighter to highlight evidence of God's love from Genesis to Revelation. If you would like more of those things, uh, if you didn't get a highlighter or a guide, they'll be at the Welcome Center for you as you leave today. Pick one up. But the truth is, you can't know what pleases God unless you know what God expects of you. And you can't know what God expects of you if you aren't willing to take the time and effort to spend in being with him. And how can we be with God? Well, we spend time with God when we spend time with his word. What has he told people that is timeless? What has he given to us to nurture us, to grow us? And I, know that I hear you. Brandon, you don't know my schedule. I have this, 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 and this in my daily schedule. I don't have time to even read five minutes of the Bible or even pray. And then my question would be, are you a lover of the world or are you a lover of God? Because what consumes your daily schedule? Is it the things of the world or is it the things of God? And the question I would have, well, you, i got to earn a living, Brandon. Yes, but even Paul says in Colossians 3.23, work in all you do as if unto the Lord rather than for men. So my work can be an act of worship. What I do at my work 
can have eternal value and purpose if I don't segment my life away and say, well, I've got my church stuff and then I have my other stuff. What else does he go on to say? How do we test what is from God and what's not? 1 John chapter 4, which is the very first part of the chapter we're going to be breaking down here in a few minutes. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. Hey guys, listen to me. I speak for God. How many people have said, the Lord told me and you need to listen? And you're thinking, I don't know if you heard from the Lord. Not really. Be careful when people come to you and say, I've got a word of the Lord for you. And it's not because you should turn them off and turn them away, but you need to know, do they really have a word from the Lord or don't they? How do we know? Well, this is what he says. At least in this context, you must test them to see if the spirit they have is from God. Well, what do I test them with? We usually have a rubric to test, right? So when when I used to teach college classes and I would have an answer sheet to the tests I would give my students, I would have all the correct answers for everything that was on the test. Where do we find all the correct answers in the faith walk with Jesus Christ to be able to test when somebody comes to us saying that they have a word from us for the Lord, from the Lord? We have the, oh, but Brandon, it's like over a thousand pages. And it's in small print. I have to get a magnifying glass. And if I get the large print Bible, they're like this thick. Now, we have a family Bible my grandmother used to have, and it was at least 12 foot by eight foot. And you'd open it up and, yeah, right? After you blew the dust off of it, you could, and it, then it was in the these and thous, and I don't even know what it means. How do we test if the spirit that a person has is from God or not? For there are many false prophets in the world, he goes on to say, and this is how we know if they have the spirit of God. If a person is claiming to be a prophet, acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. If they basically come to you and say, yes, Jesus was God's one and only son. He did come in the flesh. He died a death that we should have died, and he rose from the grave to give us life everlasting. What we have to do is to believe in him. And we will not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. All right? And so, okay, okay. All right. Now, if somebody was able to tell you that, okay, tell me more. What do, you, what do you have? Well, then you should go out and murder your neighbor. What? Are you sure? How do I know? They just, are you? Well, if we go back to Exodus chapter 19 and 20, We have 10 commandments. Those didn't get null and void when Jesus came. He fulfilled them, and he gave them greater purpose. And he says, or it says there, you shall not murder. Okay, so there's another test. If somebody tells me to go kill somebody else in the name of the Lord, yeah, no, the scripture says no. You know, it's okay to sleep around as long as you protect it, you know, so you don't get STIs or STDs and 
you know, as long as you don't get pregnant. I mean, it's okay. If you really love somebody, if it feels good, do it. I mean, God's going to forgive you anyway, right? What does Scripture say about that? What is the most holy and sacred union from the beginning of time to the end of time that God has established? The marital union. The very first union created by God was for man not to be alone. And he created a woman out of his own flesh and breathed life into her. And he gave her to man and man to her. And they too co-equally shared the responsibilities to care for the creation, to be good stewards of all that God had. And they were to be together forever under God's provision. So what do we look at here when we get to this passage a little bit further down? And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this because we're going to break it down over the rest of the month. But we go on, he's talking about we can't give in to the false teachings. How do I know if something's a false teaching or not? Well, I have to prove it based on what the Word of God says and whether or not they're claiming that Jesus was actually God's Son in the flesh. And then we go on and he says, Dear friends, in verse 7 of chapter 4, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and, God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Wow, that sounds like the gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. Who wrote this? Yes, it's John. These are the cliff notes to the gospel. If you're not my age, what do they call them now? You find them, you find them on, uh, online. They're not cliff notes anymore. They're spark notes. Sparky got the edge on cliff. So, so these are the spark notes of the Gospel of John. What does he go on to say? This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit, capital S, meaning the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit as a proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testified that the Father sent his Son to, this, uh, to be Savior of the world. So what was Jesus' purpose? To be Savior of what? The world, not the other way around. Correct? That's why we aren't to love the world, but to love God. Because God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. If we love the world, we're loving something lower than God himself. Does that make sense? Okay, let's move on. God's given us the Spirit, uh, da, 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 Savior of the world. Verse 15, all who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. Have you? It's a good question. What does it mean to put your trust in God's love for you? How many of you believe God loves you? There's some of you that don't. And I don't say that as a joke. I say it as a sincere factor that some of you don't believe God loves you because you don't believe you've earned it. You don't believe you're worthy of his love. You believe that you're despicable and that you're not worth loving because maybe you've been told that by somebody in this world. 
Maybe you yourself have told yourself that because you've done some despicable things in your life. God loves you, and he wants you to trust in his love for you. Some of you believe it and own it, and that's amazing, but some of you don't, and that's horrible. It's destructive. All confess that Jesus is the Son of God, have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in God, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on that day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Do you, can you say that as a testimony? You live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Stop. We're going to get to that in the last message this month. Perfect love casts out fear. How many of you fear? Not, not God, not a holy fear and reverence of God. How many of you have fears in your life? How many of you have worries and anxieties in your life? How many of you have been worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? How many of you worry about how your kids are growing up and whether or not they're going to experience this or that? Or how many of you fill in the blank? But if we live in God and God lives in us and we live in his perfect love and his perfect love lives in us, then that perfect love casts out all fear. How can we live as people that don't fear? Because here's the, here's the deal. In John's day and age, there were people being arrested, persecuted, and martyred for their faith. Do you think that they had fear? They had a holy fear and reverence of God. And they said, fine, take the body. Because I know where my soul is going. If you want to abuse this body, I will count it as, as, as glory to God the Father to suffer for his sake. That's what the disciples are saying in the New Testament. G, Paul says to live. If I continue to live, as, then it's Christ who lives in me. But to die, it's gain. Because what do we have awaiting us beyond this life if we believe in Christ? We have no fear, no sorrow, no death, no pain, no disease, no aches. Why do we fear what's beyond if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter what age we are? And that's where we can have this perfect love that casts out all fear because we don't have to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow, guess what, has enough worries of its own. We love each other. I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, he says. And this shows that we have not fully experienced God's perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. Those are pretty stout words. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? That's a pretty valid statement, isn't it? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. So, do you love? Who do you love? How do you love? I love the fact, see how I use that word, that English only has one word for love. What did BJ tell us last week? There are four different words for love in the Greek language in which the New Testament's written. The New Testament has four different words for love. 
and only three of them are mentioned in the New Testament. The one isn't even written in there at all. What are those loves that we hear about in the Greek language? Agape is one of the loves. And did you know agape was a word synonymous with Christianity? Prior to Christ, agape love was non-existent. It's a love that was invented, if you will, by Christ himself. And this is the kind of love that agape love is. It's a selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. Did you hear anything about emotion in there or feelings? Did you? No, I didn't either. It's selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. So unconditional means without condition. I'm going to love you. What is eros love? Eros is another Greek word for love, which means sensual or romantic love. It's a love you have for a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, someone you are attracted to. Phileo love. It's not the phileo fish you get at McDonald's, (laughs) though you may love the phileo fish. This is where we get our word for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo love means brotherly love or friendship love. It's the kind of love I have for my friends and my close friends. And then there's another love called storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. And this is what that kind of love is. And this isn't mentioned in the Bible. You won't find it in Greek. It describes a love between family members. So... Why do I tell you all that? Because when we read 1 John, guess what kind of love he's talking about? Huh? Agape love. Selfless, sacrificial, unconditional. Here's the key point this morning. Our love for God is evidenced by our love for one another. Our love for God is evidenced by our love for one another. And here's the case for us as the church. If you are a believer in Christ, you consider yourself a part of God's universal church, Christian church. If you hate somebody in the church, it means you don't love God. Do you hear me? And I don't want to hear this nonsense about, well, I I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. Because in essence, what you're doing is you've got this root of bitterness in you. And bitterness does not breed love, it breeds resentment. It doesn't mean you have to go on family vacations together. But it does have to mean that you love because he first loved you. And you have to act in loving ways toward those who in your life are unlovable. And it doesn't mean you walk around saying, I have to love you. You don't have to have the feelings because that's not what this love is about. It's about acting in loving ways. It's about living out love. When I hear people say, I think I've fallen out of love with so-and-so. I don't think I love my spouse anymore. And I hear that often as a pastor. I say, well, love isn't a feeling or an emotion. It's an action. Yes? Yes. Does it bear all things, hope all things, believe all things? So that love is not easily cast aside. But I see it cast aside way too often, especially in the Christian culture, in our culture. Because it's convenience. And this is where we've allowed the processes and the purposes of the world creep into the church, and we begin to love the world more than we love God. 
So it's not just an old, worn-out statement from the New Testament. It's something that's alive and living. Agape comes from God, and God is agape. So when we read this passage of Scripture, agape love is, has its foundation in God himself because God is agape. Does that make sense? He's selfless, sacrificial, and unconditional. He, does he love the worst sinner in the world? A couple of you believe that. Does he love the worst sinner in the world? Okay. Does he love the Mother Teresas and the Billy Grahams of the world? Unequivocally, emphatically. Did he love Hitler, Stalin, Mao Zedong? Did he love any of the number of tyrannical leaders in the world today? Yes. But here's the point. We can reject God's love, can't we? You, you may be a recipient of God's love, but you can reject it. See, God's expression of love is an expression of himself, and you can reject God by rejecting his love. Listen again to what John writes. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. What greater love is there than that? So if God loves you enough to send his one and only son to die on a cross to take away your sins, then why would you even reject God's love? Why would you even act like you're not loved? Do you hear what I'm saying? There's nothing you can do to be unloved by God. But there is a caveat to all of this, which I'll get to in a minute. In your rejection of God's love, he will let you go your own way. And that is a path of destruction, which will destroy you forever. I want to live like I'm loved. Listen, I, I, you know, I said 2018, I'm glad it's over, because I have wrestled with this, this pursuit of God's love. Some of you have heard my story. Back in January of last year, I went on sabbatical. I'd been here for five years. Part, part of our employee manual is after five years, you could put in for a one-month sabbatical. I put in for a one-month study sabbatical, and I went away, and I had gotten all the research compiled, because this is what I do. I love to research certain theological topics, and I went away with the pursuit of trying to figure out what is God's love and the depths of his love for humanity, and how in the world can he love the most unlovable? When sometimes I struggle loving myself. And guess what happened? I went to Guatemala to a mission compound with one of my missionary friends, and they provided me a private retreat, a place to stay um, where I could go up on top of the roof that overlooks Guatemala City. It's peaceful, it's beautiful, sunshine, unlike today, or any day in Pennsylvania for that matter. <laughs> and uh, I'm in paradise. This tropical paradise, getting my meals provided. I got a nice soft bed to lay my head. I've got, I, I wake up in the mornings, I could pray, I could study scripture. I brought all these, re you know what I started doing? I started unpacking this. I, went, I read three books, I read multiple articles. I wrote over 70 pages of journal entries only to find out that I was scared to death of God's love. You know how long I lasted? Some of you do. I lasted seven days of 30 days. And I had to get a flight out of there as quick as possible. Why? 
Because when you are face to face with the true, unadulterated, sacrificial, unconditional love of God, you have nothing to do but go down here and just sweet surrender. But I couldn't. I couldn't surrender to that kind of love because I still didn't think I was worthy of it. And so I was scared to death to be loved like that. Some of you think that's strange. But when you're face to face with God, because he says when you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. I was seeking him with all of my mind, and he revealed something to my heart that scared the crap out of me. And it was this. There's nothing you can do to earn this. There's nothing you can do to lose this. You can reject it and walk away from it. But no matter what you've done, there's a blood mark of my son over every bit of that. No matter what you've done, if you believe in my son Jesus, it's wiped clean. Oh, but the enemy won't let us go that easily because he reminds us of all the things we've ever done, the thoughts that are impure and unholy. He reminds us of all the actions we've done so he can keep us down instead of rising up in the midst of God's love. But if God is love and his love lives in us, Not only are we recipients of that love, but we are charged with the responsibility to give that love away. See, I went in 2018 in January to know God's love in my head. I had a theological concept of it, and I walked away scared to death. I haven't revisited it. I've been going to be honest and transparent with you today. I've been leery about going into this year. Our theme this year is love. So uh, if you see your pastor getting weirded out along the way, please know this is a journey for him as much as it is for you guys. Because when you begin to really plumb the depths of God's love, Doors are opened that you didn't realize were there. And I'm not saying ugly doors, amazing, wonderful doors, but I find myself struggling to step through it because I feel like I don't deserve it. You ever feel that way? I don't deserve this. You, I, you, what have I done to deserve I haven't done anything to deserve it. It's everything he's done for me that allows me the opportunity. Amen. But he says, I want you to come in. Come into this. I did this for you. Quit living like the world. Quit loving what the world has to offer because look look at everything I have to offer. It's so much better and it'll last forever. But we don't let ourselves. What what, what does it mean we should agape one another? We we have a hard time agapeing ourselves. Did you know we should? We should love ourselves the way God loved us and gave himself for us too. You see, I think that's one of the biggest epidemics in the church today 
is not that we love ourselves too much, but that we don't love ourselves the way God loves us. Do you love yourself the way God loves you? In spite of your blemishes, in spite of the dirt in your life, because you can't fully receive God's love unless you learn to love the way God loves. Do you, do you hear me? It's not just about loving others. It's also about receiving the love. And you can't receive the love unless you're willing to love the way he loves. And that means loving you too. 1 John four nineteen: we love because he first loved us. We cannot agape apart from God. We can eros apart from God. We can phileo apart from God. We can storge apart from God, but we can never agape without having God's agape in us. And, we, and the only way to have God's agape love in us is to believe in his one and only son who is the embodiment of that love. Now, here's the caveat I told you I was going to get to. There are people who interpret this passage merely from an English language standpoint. They huddle all loves into one word. I can love a hot dog and I can love my wife. And my wife is no hot dog. <laughs> but I love her like a hot dog sometimes. I'm just kidding. I love you more than a hot dog. I love my kids like a hot dog sometimes. It gives me indigestion and all that. At face value, when you read this passage of Scripture, when, when you read, listen, go, let's go back to the first few verses, starting with verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Whoa, 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 what does that mean? Anyone who loves God knows God and is a child of God. Well, there's a lot of people that say they love God, but don't really know what that means. And what else does it say? Because there's another verse here. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And this is where we get into the messed up weird theology that everybody's a child of God. How many of you have heard that? And some of you may even believe that. All of God's creatures are children of God. Actually, no, that's not what Scripture says, and this is how false teaching finds its way into, into the church today, because I've heard so many Christians say, everybody's a child of God. No, everybody is loved by God, and God gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But what kind of love is he talking about? Ah, let's go back here. Put, put agape there. Dear friends, let us continue to agape one another, for agape comes from God. What comes from God? Selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. Anyone who loves or who agapes is a child of God and knows God. Where does agape come from? How do we agape if God is in us? Do you see the difference here? So it's a child of God who can love like God. Somebody who is not a child of God cannot love like this because they don't know God. That's what he's getting at here. And when we come back over on this side and look at this again, we look at John chapter 1, the gospel of John, all the way back. 
For in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Now if you go on down in that same chapter, starting with verse 10, he says, John says, the one who wrote the epistle that we're reading from today, in his gospel he says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. But listen to this. He came to his own people, and they even rejected him. And in verse 12, listen to what he says. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. See, there's a caveat there. When then, when they believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. They are then reborn, not a physical birth resulting in human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God alone. And it's when you receive Christ into your life, you receive God's love in you. Then you were of God. You were living in that love and that love is living in you. That's what makes you a child of God. That makes sense. Yes. All right. And he goes on, so believing in Jesus as God's son transforms us into new creations. In our rebirth, we become the sons and the daughters of God, the children of God. Now, as the sons and the daughters of God, we have God's love living in us, his agape love. And this love isn't meant to be kept, but rather given away. You can't hide it under a bushel. It's this light and love that's living in us that has to come out. And if you're hiding it, then maybe you don't have it. The greatest commandment is this. Jesus was telling the religious leaders and teachers, you must love the Lord your God. Agape, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But see, the second one's like it, he says. You can't separate the two. You've got to agape your neighbor as yourself. Well, then who's my neighbor? And then he gives a parable of the good Samaritan who was the most despised person within the Jewish community outside of the Gentiles and the tax collectors. And the Samaritan becomes the hero in the story. Who is my neighbor? It's the most despised individual. I am to love my enemies, Jesus says, as much as I love anyone else in my life. So now, Jesus says in John chapter 13, the Gospel of John, I'm giving you a new commandment. Agape each other just as I have, just as I have agaped you. You should agape each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. One is the best proof to, the, to a world around us that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Agape love. What does the world see in our culture from the church? It doesn't see love bearing all things, hoping all things. It sees us struggling just as bad as the world does. But in the midst of our struggle, we have some hope to hold on to because of God's love for us and our love for one another because we aren't doing life alone. And if you're in the church and you're doing life alone, you weren't created to do that called to lean on one another, to love each other. By, your, by our love for one another, the rest of the world will say, I want that. But if they hear, yeah, so-and-so in the church really ticked me off. They didn't play the song that I wanted to have played. Or they didn't, you know what? They had somebody on stage with the skimpy thing on. Well, it was tighter than I wanted to see. Uh, you want to see me wear a spandex suit someday? <laughs> All of this, trust me, I would never take you there. Uh, 
never take myself there. <laughs> See, we get hung up on some of the stupidest things that in the grand scheme of eternity and in God's word don't amount to a hill of beans. But let me be honest with you about this. Not that I haven't been honest with you up to this point. I, it's not like I've been feeding you a line of lies and then like, okay, now I'm going to be truthful. Let me be honest with you right here. The only way we know the difference between good and bad, right and wrong, oftentimes is whether or not we know what God's word says. Well, what about those who don't have the word of God? They have this word of God written on their hearts and on their lives. We call that a conscience. We've been created in God's image. He's given us what we need, even if we don't have the tangible expression of God's words in our very hand. So how do we know how to love? We know how to love because he first loved us. There's a way we know how to love because it's been so ingrained in our DNA as people who are created in God's image. Is it easy? Is it easy to love as we've first been loved by God? No, it's not. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. <clears throat> but God doesn't expect us to live, in our own live it in our own capacity and strength. And this is why he first loved us. Do, do you see that? And do you see what Paul is saying, or excuse me, what John is saying when he says, we love because he first loved it, isn't say, it doesn't say we love because we know all the right answers. It doesn't say we love because we have what it takes. It doesn't say we love because we have more knowledge than somebody else. We love because he first loved us. You see, that there's, there's a stepping stone process. He loves us, and now we can love the way he loved us. So when we rise above our own pride and our need to be validated, we are learning to love the way that God loves. When we forgive the way that God has forgiven us, we are learning to love the way God loves. When we let go of the bitterness and resentment of those who have hurt, rejected, and betrayed us, we are learning to love the way God loves. When we take time to meet the needs of the least of these instead of continuing on with our busy schedules, we are learning to love the way God loves. When we patiently endure with others who are going through trials and temptations, we are learning to love the way God loves us. When we respond with kindness instead of anger, when someone has been rude to us, we are learning the way, to love the way God first loved us. When we give not out of compulsion, but out of sincere gratitude, then we are learning to love the way God loves us. And as we consider today, as we close today, let us consider John's audience. Who was he writing to? He was writing to the church, but why is he reminding them the importance of loving one another? I mean, love is what the church is known for. At least it was. Well, not necessarily. It should be what the church is known for, but all too often selfish desires and ambitions invade the church and tear down the bonds of love and unity that leave a wake of destruction and damage that ripples outside of the community of faith and into the world around us, and it's damaging. But listen to this. If we can't love people in the church, how can we begin to love those outside of the church? So church, where do we start today? We start with loving God. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we begin by loving each other. It's a good first step. If there's somebody in this building today that you struggle loving, maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's somebody else. 
you've got to learn to love the way he first loved you. Because only then will we begin to even conceptualize how to love a world that is so depraved and so out of sorts. Sadly, though, I think we find sometimes that we can love those outside of the church better inside of the church. And that's painful testimony. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. I close with this as our worship team comes forward. Jesus says, love each other. Just just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Our love for God is evidenced by our love for one another. And we can't truly love God if we don't love one another. This sermon wasn't meant to be a diatribe against the church. But I know that love doesn't come easy. And so I'm asking you today, if you struggle with the concept of God's love for you and God's love living through you, don't leave here today without at least beginning the step of the journey in that direction. If you need somebody to pray with you, because I said you can't do this alone, if you've struggled with God's love, if you've rejected God's love, but you're saying, I I can't run from it anymore, there's somebody that's going to be willing to pray with you. You come to my right, your left at this altar here. We still have a board over here with prayer requests. We have a lot that have been answered, but a lot that are still needing to be answered. I know some of you have placed them up there for lost loved ones who are in need to know God's love. Continue to pray. If you want to pray alone, if you don't want anybody to touch you, lean near you, you just want private time alone with God, come to my left, you're right. But again, like I say every Sunday, don't leave here without making a commitment to love the way God first loved you. To receive that love and to give that love are the most important things in this life. All the law and the commandments hang on those two things. Let's pray. Father, we are speechless by the love you give and the love you continue to give us even when we're in our opinions the most unlovable it's hard to let go and surrender I don't know why it just is human nature maybe this this sinful nature we wrestle against the spiritual warfare with the enemy who throws all these fiery darts at us to keep us in it forgive us heal us cleanse us help us to receive your love openly and completely help us to love ourselves the way you love us and help us to love each other the way you first loved us it's in jesus name we pray amen thanks for joining us this week check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of god's word Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. 
If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Main, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.